Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Today in the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings, I'll discuss where did the elves come from? Where did orcs come from? Why did the Valar finally subdue Melkor? What was the summons of the Valar to the elves? How were the houses of the elves divided? Who were Thingol and Melian? All this and more coming right up. Welcome. In the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast, we explore the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe just Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for the new Lord of the Rings TV series by Amazon Studios, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Mongo Vanyan, fellow wanderers. Today in Middle-earth, December 30, in the year 3019, this is after the ring has been destroyed, Sam is busy restoring Bag End, and Merry and Pippin are busy restoring Crick Hollow. These tidbits come from Today in Middle-earth on the OneRing.net. Go check it out. Okay, time for a quick map check. The Valar are enjoying the light of the two trees of Alinor, Telperion the Silver Tree and Laurelin the Golden Tree. Melkor is hiding out in his stronghold, Autumno. Aule created the dwarves, but they sleep until the coming of the elves. Today we'll summarize the chapters called Of the Coming of the Elves and the Captivity of Melkor and Of Thingol and Melian in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, published by Ballantine Books in 1977. Let's start with the elves. The two trees of Valinor provided the land of the Valar with splendid light. However, in Middle-earth, the only light was that of the stars, and many things that had been created awaited a greater light to awaken. Melkor continued to establish his realm in the north of Middle-earth, and his strength grew. In the darkness, he perverted many creatures, and his monsters walked abroad and haunted the land. He gathered Balrogs to him, and his dominion grew. To protect against a sudden attack from the Valar, Melkor established an outpost called Angband in the northwest of Middle-earth. In command of that outpost, he set Sauron, his lieutenant. The Valar held a council. Many of them had explored Middle-earth, including Yvanna, as she checked on her plants and trees, and Orome, a great hunter who rode a mighty horse. They often reported on the darkness and the terrible creatures in Middle-earth. Then Tolkas, the Laughing Warrior, stood and urged the Valar to overcome Melkor by force. Manwe, the High King, turns to Mandos and asks for a pronouncement. Mandos says, It is doomed that the firstborn shall come in the darkness, and shall look first upon the stars. Great light shall be for their waning. To Varda Elbereth ever shall they call at need. A couple things to note about this utterance from Mandos. First, when Tolkien was writing, I think doom was not quite cliché as it is today. In many cases, we could interpret doom as fate or intention, maybe even Iluvatar's intention. So we could reread Mandos' prophecy as, It is fate, or Iluvatar's intent, that the firstborn shall come in the darkness, and shall look first upon the stars. Also, we see that Mandos is giving us hints of Varda, or Elbereth's importance to the elves. I spoke briefly about Elbereth in episode 1. If you need a reminder, you can go check that out. Now back to Valinor. This saying inspires Elbereth. She leaves the councils and goes to the two trees. From the vats of water light, she takes the silver light of Tilperion, the firstborn tree, and begins to create new and brighter stars for the coming of the firstborn of Iluvatar's children, the elves. She also gathers many of the ancient stars into constellations in the sky. Tolkien provides his names of many of these stars and constellations that Elbereth creates at this moment. In some ways, Tolkien wanted to connect his mythology to be sort of an ancient, ancient past of our Earth. 
One of the constellations that Elbereth makes is Menel Makar, who has a shining belt and forebodes the last battle of the end of days. If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, the constellation Orion is one of the easiest to point out in the sky. I can just imagine Tolkien drawing inspiration from the night sky and weaving that into his mythology. Another interesting constellation is the Valacirca, or Sickle of the Valar, a sign of doom. She set that constellation in the north as a challenge to Melkor. The constellation was a crown of seven mighty stars. Remember Aragorn's armor and banner again? A silver tree and a crown with seven stars. Thus, the silver light of Telperion is used in many ways to challenge the darkness of Melkor. Now, back to Middle-earth. In the hour that Elbreth finishes her labors and Melamakar rises into the sky, the firstborn of Luatar awoke. In silence their eyes looked upward and beheld the stars in the night sky before any other creation. Because of this, the elves have always loved starlight and revere Elbreth above all the other Valar. The elves awoke near Qui Viennin, the Water of Awakening, which was a bay of a great inland sea far in the east of Middle-earth. The lands have changed, so if you looked at the maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books or movies, you won't see it. Many rivers flowed from the mountains in the east of this area, and so the sound of water flowing or moving over stones was the first sound heard by the elves. They dwell in the land between the water and the mountains, under the stars, and begin to develop a language as they walk in and wonder at the earth. Melkor was the first to discover the coming of the elves, and he sent shadows and evil spirits to spy on them. The most ancient tales of the elves mention evil, shadow-like creatures in the woods or in the hills to the east of their first home. As in all things, Melkor attempted to subvert the elves to his evil purposes. His shadow creatures had already filled many elves with dread. He was able to capture some of the elves, and because he could no longer create any living thing of his own, but could only pervert the works of others, by slow arts of cruelty, he corrupted and enslaved these elves into the hideous race of orcs. The orcs hate their master and serve him in fear, considering him to be the maker only of their misery. Of this corruption of elves and orcs, Tolkien has this to say, This, it may be, was the vilest deed of Melkor, and the most hateful to Iluvatar. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. Remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. By chance, Arome, the great hunter of the Valar, rode through Middle-earth when his steed suddenly stopped. He sat in silence for a moment, and then faintly he heard many voices singing. He drew near the elves, and when he saw them was filled with wonder. At first the elves feared Orome, because of the deceits of Melkor. But those who had courage and were the most noble among them were drawn to the light of the Valar that they could perceive in his face. Tolkien describes these ancient elves as being stronger and greater than the elves of later times, like the ones we are most familiar with in the Third Age. But they lost nothing of their ancient beauty, even if sorrow and wisdom has enriched it. I'm going to point this out again simply because it's such a persistent theme in Tolkien's works, and that is the sorrow that brings wisdom and enriches life. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Captivity of Melkor Orome returns to Valinor and reports to the Valar that the elves have awoken. He also reports on the deceits of Melkor. The Valar are glad at this report and debate a long time about what to do. At last, Manwe convinces the Valar that they should drive out Mel Melkor in defense of the elves. The Valar advance on Melkor's realm, first setting a guard around Quivienen. 
Thus the elves first beheld the Valar when they were arrayed for battle, and they felt the earth shake and saw lights in the north as the Valar advanced on Melkor. At last the Valar break the gates of Atumno, and bind Melkor in a great chain crafted by Aule for that very purpose. And though the Valar raised the fortresses of Atumno and Angbad, many of Melkor's evil followers escaped, including his lieutenant, Sauron. The Valar bring Melkor bound into Valinor, and there decide that he should be imprisoned in the halls of Mandos, from which none can escape. Melkor never forgot that the Valar brought war upon him in aid of the elves, and even though they didn't take part in the battle, he held them responsible for his great loss. The summons of the Valar and the sundering of the elves. With Melkor imprisoned, Middle-earth now had peace. Yet the Valar debated further amongst themselves on what they should do about the elves. Some advocated for letting the elves be and observing them from afar, and others loved the elves and desired their friendship. In the end, they decide to summon the elves to leave the starlit land of their birth and come to Valinor and there enjoy the light of the two trees. Arome returns to the elves to deliver the summons, but the elves are reluctant to go because of the great battle of the Valar. Instead, Arome selects three ambassadors from the elves who can observe the Valar in their glory at Valinor and then report to their people of what they see. These three ambassadors are named Ingwe, Finwe, and Elwe, and they later became kings of three different factions of the elves. These ambassadors were in awe at the Valar and their glory, and of the light of the two trees, and upon returning to the elves convinced many of them to obey the summons of the Valar and travel to Valinor. Okay, this is where it starts to get a little complicated, and the subtleties between the different groups of elves begin to be explained. If you're a careful observer of the movie adaptations, you may have picked up on the difference between the elven realms that are portrayed. For example, Elrond is powerful and has dark hair, as do all the elves in Rivendell. Yet Galadriel is even more wise and powerful, and has light hair, as does her husband Celeborn. Also Legolas and his father Thranduil. Thranduil is less wise and powerful than Galadriel and Elrond, though still cunning and immortal as all elves are. These differences, in small part, begin to be explained by the four main factions that occur when the Valar summon the elves to Valinor. The first faction is easy. These are the Avari, the unwilling. They refuse to go to Valinor, preferring the light of the stars over the professed light of the two trees. They never came to Valinor, never started on the journey to Valinor, and never saw the light of the two trees. Because of that, these elves are sometimes referred to as Dark Elves, though not because they were evil, they simply had not seen the light of the trees. The next three factions were led by the three ambassadors that had gone to Valinor. The first of these was led by Ingwe. This was the smallest group, and most eager to reach Valinor. They became known as the Fair Elves. The second group was led by Finwe. They started on the road to Valinor. They had a deep friendship with Ingwe's people, and were later known as the Noldor. This second group, the Noldor, led by Finwe, play an outsized role in the events of the First Age of Middle-earth, and in future struggles against Melkor. The third group was led by Elwe. They were the largest group, so large that Elwe's brother shared in the leadership of the group. They moved the slowest along the road with some splinter groups turning back early and never coming even near Valinor. They were later known as the Teleri, but had many other names aside, such as the Grey Elves or Elves of Twilight, since in later years they lived sort of in between the starlit lands of Middle-earth, but had access to the light of the two trees in Valinor. Now, nothing is simple with Tolkien, and these three or four factions of elves are really just the forefathers of further factions, each with their own cultures, names, and characteristics. I will provide a link in the show notes to an article from the one wiki to rule them all, about the sundering of the elves. Go check it out. The hosts of the elves take many years on their journey to Valinor. In time, they come to a great river called Anduin, which results in further splinter groups. But I mention this because this is the same river that flows near Lothlorien, and upon which Aragorn and the Fellowship takes boats. Many landscape features of Middle-earth have changed in the flow of time and in the mighty battles with Melkor, yet this river is ancient, even for Middle-earth. 
Another noteworthy landscape feature is a range of high mountains to the west of the river. These mountains are so high, their tops are shrouded in mist. Thus, the elves also traveled through the misty mountains. Though without the mines of Moria or Goblin Caves, it's not clear how they crossed the mountains. Those features would come much later. After many years, the major groups come into the land of Beleriand, the very western land of Middle-earth. This land was west of the Blue Mountains, which in turn is west of the land that would later be home of a bunch of hobbits, the Shire. If you're as crazy about maps of Middle-earth as I am, you might think to yourself, but wait, there's only ocean to the west, and you would be right, in the third age of Middle-earth at least. But in this first age, a rich land stretched from the Blue Mountains to the sea, and it is chiefly in this land, Beleriand, where many of the Cimmerillion's tales will take place. I need to share one important story that happened on the Great March of the Elves to Beleriand. This tale actually begins with Melian. Melian was one of the Maiar who served the Valar. She was wise and more skilled in song than any other. As soon as she heard of the awakening of the elves, she left the gardens of her lord, Lorien, and came to Middle-earth, and so filled it with song, with her voice, and the singing of the birds who followed her. Now, as the Teleri, that last slow group of elves, was traveling west, their lord, Elway, one of the three ambassadors, was traveling ahead to visit with his friend, Finway, who was further west. Suddenly, he hears a song of nightingales, and falling enchanted with wonder, he follows the song until he finds Melian. Upon seeing him, Melian is filled with love. They stand hand in hand for some time, so long in fact that Ingwe's brother can't find him, and eventually takes the rest of Teleri west. But Ingwe's name is changed to Thingol, and together with Melian, they establish a realm in Beleriand called Doriath. Alright, that's a lot to remember, and we're still only setting the stage. For now, remember, Melkor hates the elves because he blames them for his downfall. The elves were awoken, and many have traveled west of Valinor. They are organized in several factions, all of which are determined, more or less, on their attitude or experience, and having seen the light of the two trees of Valinor. See you next time. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.